The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building Resilience. Talking Trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good morning, Australia. Good evening, America. Uh, it's Tony Lontis here back on Radio Tony this week. And this week we have a couple of guests and our usual regulars. And um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about our two authors uh, later on in the show. This morning you'll be listening to me and I'm going to tell you all about the Philippines and my upcoming Philippines tour in May. And I just wanted to do a big shout out to you guys today because I I really appreciate the fact that you come on this show and you listen every week. You make my week knowing that on Friday I get to talk to you live across the world and I appreciate that you do that week in, week out. So a big shout out to everyone listening today. If you want to jump on the chat and pop me a message and tell me where you're listening from, that would be amazing. You would make my Friday. And don't forget, if you want to know more about me or the show, just jump onto my website, tonylontis.com. You can jump onto my Facebook page, Tony Lontis, or the Radio Tony Facebook page. Also have my LinkedIn profile. And if you want to email me personally, I'm going to put my personal email up in the chat box for you today so that you can bring up with me any subjects that you'd like to hear on the show at any time and later in the show when I talk to my two authors they've got both very different and very fascinating uh, stories to tell and Mel do you need a passport to go on this tour if I'm if you're in Australia you need a passport and no visa if you're from the US I believe that you still need a passport but you don't need a visa um, I'm not sure how long it takes to get passports in the US, but in Australia, you have to leave about three months to do that. So yes, you will need a passport no matter where you are. But as I understand, you won't need a visa from Australia or America. And yes, the tour is open to anyone anywhere across the world who wants to join me in May to visit the Philippines. So I am going to go on a short break. 
whilst I grab some information for you. So I'm going to quickly hand over to Rebel. And when I come back on, I'm going to tell you all about the Philippines and why it's such a fabulous place to visit, why I chose the Philippines and who I'm partnering with to deliver this first transformational tour to the Philippines in May 2020. So over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony on W4WN, your safe space for tough conversations. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to your host, Tony Lontis, on Radio Tony today. And I just wondered if any of you caught my new show yesterday on Radio 4 AUS at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Australian Time. It's my first new show in the 50-minute format. I'll still keep going with this big show on Fridays because it's the first love of my life. And so as I promised, I was going to tell you about my new foray into touring. So I love travel. I love visiting new places and meeting new people and learning about new cultures. And because I love travel so much, I made a conscious decision to find a company that would help me deliver a tour with a difference. And I'll tell you a bit more about that company in a moment, but Transformational Tours with Tony um, will have our first tour in the Philippines in May 2020. So from the 2nd of May to the 9th of May 2020, we'll be all meeting in Manila in the Philippines and we will be doing some tourist things and sponsoring a feeding program. We'll also incorporate a day stay with a Philippine family, um, an overnight there, and then we're going to do lots of wonderful, unique tourist things, little trips, hot springs, massage, wonderful food across across restaurants and cafes that are uh, popular across Manila and Coron. And so why did I pick the Philippines? Well, the Philippines was uh, is officially the Republic of the Philippines and it's an archipelago, archipelic country in Southeast Asia. Situated in the Western Pacific Ocean, it consists of 7,641 islands that are broadly categorized into three geographical divisions, Luzon, Vizaras, and Mindanao. Their gross domestic prof, uh, product is estimated at $313 billion US dollars as at 2017. Their capital is Manila. And in 2017, their population was estimated at 104.9 million people. 
They speak a combination of Filipino, English and Spanish. Keller, was it hard to partner with a company to set up this tours? Um, it was actually relatively easy because they approached me. When I started looking around for uh, countries to visit, so first I looked at Bali uh, and then I looked at Fiji and a few of the Pacific Islands and then as I was searching, the Trips Plus site came up that talks about the Philippines. And what resonated with me was the fact that they wanted to incorporate tours or travel that had a positive impact on the local people. And as you may be aware, the Philippines is a very poor country by our Western standards. So any help that they can get um, is greatly appreciated. So Keller, it wasn't wasn't hard and I'm really happy with the partnership so far. Ivy, um, you need to leave three to six months in the States to get a passport. Oh, good to know. And it costs a good bit of money. Okay, Ivy. How much does a passport cost in the US? Because in Australia, it's sitting around 300 or so Australian dollars, which is the equivalent of about 170 uh, US dollars. So, yeah, it's a bit of money. Um, I first got my passport 20 years ago and I'm about to go on to my third passport because I love travel so much. So the Philippines, as you know, is located in Southeast Asia and it's not a really uh, common place for people like backpackers to travel to. Um, it has a lack of land connections to neighbouring countries. So if you're flying to the Philippines, you're just usually going to Pacific specifically visit the Philippines. Um, the Philippine uh, currency is the peso and it means that those of us travelling from Australia and the US, we get a lot more for our money. Um, the Philippines is also considered a warm tropical climate all year round and they only have two distinct seasons, the dry season and the wet season and they alternate and generally speaking January to June is a great time to visit hence why we're going in May and then um, visa information, nationals from 151 countries may enter the Philippines without a visa and stay a maximum of 30 days provided they have a passport that is valid for six months beyond the period of time that they stay in the Philippines. You must also present a return or an outward bound ticket so they want to know that you're actually going home and you're not going to stay and set up shop in the Philippines. And uh, the reason I uh, picked the Philippines was the potential to do some good. So combine, combine travel to a beautiful place and the Philippines has some of the most beautiful islands in the world and on my tour in May we will be visiting a place called Coron which is voted the number one island in the world. So that's exciting to know. And now the company that I partnered with was called Trips Plus. And why did I partner with Trips Plus? Because they offered authentic 
immersion tours, meaning you travel like a local and not like a tourist. They also offered seamless travel, so they package up my tour and all you have to pay for is your flight to get there. So all internal flights, food, accommodation, tours, all the fun activities we do, the visits to the spring, the massage, all included. The only thing you have to pay for is alcohol if that's what you'd like to buy whilst you're there. Um, And the other reason, the final reason I partnered with Trips Plus was because they look at the world with fresh eyes and they offer the opportunity to experience the joy of giving back. So in the Philippines, they offer a number of um, experiences, I guess you'd say. And one of those experiences is um, the authentic homestay in a village. Um, And that's one that I'm particularly looking forward to, uh, staying with an individual family in a village for one night. They also use uh, social entrepreneurship, which is a way to combat poverty and the way that we'll be combating poverty in this tour is by sponsoring a feeding program in a place called Zone 3, which is a slum area in Manila, and we'll be uh, helping to feed those that don't have food on that day. So what that does is introduce you to the poorest of communities in the world and the jo- experience the joy that they get from being receiving a good meal. Um, the other thing is that uh, in Manila and across the Philippines, the food is exquisite. So it's generally a combination of US, Spanish and Filipino delicacies. They also have lots of history, arts, monuments and cathedrals and we'll be visiting some of those on the tour they also again back to those beautiful islands so most of our tour after we spent a few days in manila doing um and giving back to the community we'll be jumping on a plane to coron which is a little island off the philippines and experiencing one of the most beautiful islands in the world um and Also incorporated in the tour is some downtime. So you get time to just breathe, relax, sleep, read a book, do what you want. So not a completely packed out tour where you're going and going and going and going. This will include elements of uh, time out, so to speak. And I'll be doing a couple of little workshops to inspire, empower, educate and help anyone who comes on the tour. And of course, I get to spend time with new people on the tour and I'm really looking forward to that. Ivy says, are you looking at about 145 plus another 65 in fees? That Ivy, that sounds about right for your passport Um, because, yes, there are fees involved and you do need to get those uh, passport photos. I know in Australia passport photos are regimented they must look like this they must be in this size they must be filmed at this amount of uh, away from you so australian passports are very particular about your passport photos australian passports also include uh tracking information and uh 
our passport allows you to quickly travel through the airports via scanning machines. So not everyone's passports across the world allow you to do that, but Australia is one that does. So when we go through the airport, we just do a scan of passport. They pop you into a little booth. They take a photo and bang you through the out the, out the other side. So that's one wonderful thing of being um, Australian and having an Australian passport. Justin wants to know, what types of food do they, they have if they don't have food for their people? So um, they have all manner of food. They had a huge American presence. So there's a lot of availability of American food, in particular American fast food. Then they have their own cultural food. And one of the things that will be participating on in the tour is something called a boodle fight. And a boodle fight sounds like a food fight, a water fight, but I'm telling you it's actually a huge big table piled high with beautiful samples of food, meat, salad, fruit, vegetables, and you get to pick what you want. So effectively the Philippines version of a buffet dinner which I think is fabulous. I love buffets. Who else loves buffets? I think they're fantastic. Um, so more a little, little bit more about Trips Plus. Every tour funds a tangible product, a project such as noble endeavours, building wells, illegal drug education programs, community building activities in the slums and community feeding programs in the slums. So when I talk about the slums, that means that we're going to go to the poorest areas in Manila and see what that's like for those people that are living in those areas and what capacity they have to transform their lives and get out of the slum so social entrepreneurship is about helping those people elevate their life and get out of their slum living and sometimes that's just around education but by us going together there as a tour we have an immediate impact because our tourist dollars and our help and our sponsorship makes their lives better so the Trips Plus team has a local team and an Australian team and they customise the travel experience. So I worked with them to uh, generate the sort of tour that I wanted to deliver and then they made it really hassle-free for me to, to do that. So they worked on the itinerary, worked out the places we were going to go and then they sent it back to me and said, hey, Tony, what do you think about going here, doing this, doing that? And that's the tour that we have to do in May. Um, so Trips Plus also provides employment to graduates in provinces and helps solve real problems in their uh, local areas and their local families. So Leo says, yes, Leo, definitely like a buffet but uh, different. So my understanding is that they present the food on huge big banana leaves with um, lots of variety and choice so that you get to pick whatever you want to eat at that time. Um, Pearl wants to know, is it fair to view the unfortunate? Good question, Pearl. Um, I actually believe and I know from my many talks with lots of different people that they look forward to those visits. If we didn't visit them, they wouldn't get a meal that day. So simply by us visiting them, they get a meal each 
that day and our tour will spend money in that area and when we spend money in areas like that, that gives them a job, it gives them money and it helps elevate their status. So the other thing that we're going to do in the Philippines is we're going to talk about the programs that they have to get people out of slum living. So the program that that we sponsor is around the idea that everyone should be entitled to live in um, a house with a roof over their head. So the program offers those people who sign up for the program the opportunity to work in exchange for their house. So my understanding is that uh, the individual people that are chosen to do the program, they work for X number of hours and in exchange they get their own uh, little house. And admittedly, they're not the same as what we would expect in um, Western culture, but for them, it's like a palace. And I actually believe that we should be seeing how the other half of the world lives, that we should be knowledgeable, empathetic, sympathetic, and trying to help the poorest people on the world. So you and I listening to this radio show, we come from a privileged background. We have a house over our head. We may or may not have a car. We most of us have a job of some description. The people in the slum areas of the Philippines have absolutely nothing. They may live under a uh, room that has a roof that is just either a piece of cardboard or a piece of canvas and it's to give them a shelter. So I think that by visiting the poorer areas of the world, we gain an understanding um, and a new perspective and I believe that's powerfully important for people to see. So that's why I have included it in my first transformational tour with Tony and so if you want to come on the tour and you want to see changes in the world and you want to experience an immersive tour that enables you to uniquely experience village life in the Philippines and you get to see a Philippine family and see how they live for a month on the money you would spend in a restaurant on one night. And again, we sponsor a feeding program for the poor and just reiterating that if we didn't do that, that would be one day that they didn't get a decent meal. And I think that that's important because large change in the world begins with tiny steps and just one good meal may be the difference between life and death and having the energy to go out and find a better life. Um, by coming on transport tools you get to understand how your tourist dollars make a difference in the people's lives in real so you get to see the difference that your tourist dollars make and you get to experience the value of social entrepreneurship in the philippines so if you want to come along and enjoy the beauty of the philippines nurture yourself and have some time to relax and re revive, I'd love for you to join us in May in the Philippines. 
And before I run out of time and introduce our next amazing guest, I'll just run through the uh, itinerary quickly and then I'll pop a link up on the chat box for you to have a look about uh, for more information about transformational touring. So on day one, we arrive in Manila in the Philippines and that evening we'll all meet together for introductions, a welcome dinner, your goodie packs and a talk by me. On day two, we're going to go to the Spanish Quarter and understand about the struggle of Jose Ramirez uh, to liberate his people from Spanish rule. And it took him, it took them 335 years to uh, extradite themselves from Spanish rule. We'll take a social enterprise tour by a horse and cart through the Spanish cult. We'll visit churches, museums, have a light lunch, and then we go to Zone 3 where we sponsor our feeding program. Um, we'll finish the night with a, con a cultural dinner and dancing and overnight in Manila. Day 3, we visit Godward Kalinga Village or GK Village for the morning where we'll volunteer and we'll visit a village and provide regular income stream for the community which helps combat poverty through social tourism that afternoon we'll put a twist on the amazing race with a secret challenge dinner will be a boodle fight uh, that you'll never forget and an authentic homestay in gk village that night the next day is an early start as we go and visit to jj the popular holiday town we visit the People's Park and discover Amelia Marcos's anguish over the partially completed mansion that now lies in ruins. And lots of you would have heard about Amelia Marcos. Um, and that evening, we will spend the evening at Sonia's Secret Garden Restaurant and Day Spa, where you'll get to enjoy a massage and a beautiful organic dinner and overnight in Manila. Day five, we fly to Caron. And that beautiful island, the most beautiful island in the world. Your flights are included in your tour package. Lunch at the hotel, afternoon free to relax, and then dinner and overnight on the island of Koran. So we will have a dinner with me and we'll reflect on our time at the feeding program and our volunteer. Day six, we go on an island hopping tour and a trip to Kadang Lake, which is a chance to experience how the water changes from ice cold to warm. We'll go snorkeling and dinner at a local restaurant overnight on the island. Uh, the next day is a morning workshop with me and an optional climb to Mount Tapias for a stunning views and a therapeutic immersion in the hot springs after your trek to the top. So then day eight is our final day where you get to sleep in and have a relaxed morning before we fly back to Manila. So we're just about out of time for our first segment. And when we come back live, we will be joined by Laura. And Laura is a issue and has a fascination Sorry, with Stephen first and then Laura after the break. So I'm going to pop on a little break and when we come back, we will be talking 
to Stephen. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony on W4WN, your safe space for tough conversations. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty, is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook, and audio formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Available for download now through all good online retailers and in all good bookstores. Tough conversations on the social and moral issues of our time with Tony Lontis. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia, Radio Tony on W4WN. And you're back live on Radio Tony. And joining us this morning, we have a wonderful author by the name of Stephen Chong. Stephen Chong is a highly sought-after personal development coach, speaker and author. And he has over 30 years provided guidance and motivation to countless people through his inspirational messages and ability to bring the best out in people. So Stephen is a gifted storyteller and his wise observations of modern work and personal life will give you an insight into how you can realise your highest potential through a rich and fulfilling life. So his work in personal development, coaching and speaking, he focuses on identifying and articulating the essential vision and values required by executive, business managers and employees in the modern workplace. He has an established reputation and I'm really happy that we have Stephen live on air with us this morning. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Tony. Thank you for having me on your program. I'm so happy to have you here. How hey, are you I've doing this week? Introduction. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> My I, pleasure. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here amongst beautiful rainforests and it's I must say it's a glorious day today, although you know, we're a bit absent rain, but that's okay. Has but it been of, raining lots up there? It's not, Matt, not really. About this time of year, it generally yeah. starts to bucket down. But we've had a little bit, but nothing of significance, really. But it's still very pleasant. Um, and is it humid? <laughs> oh, yes, that goes with the territory this time of year. It does. <laughs> you, one walks around in a, in a leather of sweat and tries not to go outside. But, you know, it, it's all part of the... The luxury of living in paradise, I guess. You know, you have a, a month or two, which is a bit extreme, but the rest of the year we can we can cope very well. No complaints. <laughs> so, just for our listeners, would you be happy to tell them whereabouts in Australia you live? Ah, Coranda, which is probably forty minutes drive west of Cairns, uh, up. Up in up in the as I say we're up amidst rainforest here, so surrounded by birds and trees and things, uh, and lots of wild things. <laughs> so, yes, but it is very pleasant. It's a lovely. We've been here. Uh, my family and I have been here thirty plus years, so it would take ah. a um, a bulldozer to get us out now. Right. So for our listeners, I'm on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia, and right up the top end of the state is where Stephen is. So quite well, a long about, way of way, but still the same state. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. All, it's yeah. Still, 
Stephen, do you have cassowaries where you are? Oh, I've got to tell you a story. Yes, um, please. In fact, I'll send you a link. Uh, <laughs> where, uh, this is this is probably uh, it's probably two years ago, where uh, I'm taking about to take the kids down to school. Yes. And and we couldn't get out the front door. Right. Because there was a cassowary right out front. He's like he's patrolling up and down. We've got big glass windows in the front yeah. door, so he can. So he's looking in, and he's making all these. Oh, I won't do it on air, but these warbling sounds in his throat. Yes. yes. Saying, I don't know. I don't speak cassowary, so I don't know what he was. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't get out the house. He's uh, 15, 20 minutes. He's, he's like marching up and parading up and down, and stopping in front of the window, looking at us. Saying, "Come out!" I don't know. Come out and I'll eat you or something. Or maybe because they're very that. intimidating, listeners. Cassowaries that we're talking about now live in um, far north Queensland, and they are huge terrestrial birds, meaning they walk around on the ground. They don't fly, and they are beautiful, but they are very intimidating and supremely scary. Yes. Well, th- this one was not fully grown. He was he was juvenile, he had some juvenile feathers on him. But the 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 claws, you'd look at the claws and go, My goodness, you know, they are huge and it could take a, a, a real piece out of you if if you weren't careful. So we didn't go outside until he left. <laughs> because you just got they're protected as well. So you can't really um will oh. Harper wants to know, will they hurt a human, Stephen? I think so. Yes, if yeah. if confronted, uh, um, so we didn't take the didn't take the chance and go outside. But I, I wouldn't want to sort of antagonise the lad, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because I'm sure you, with those claws, I've heard that they can do yeah. some significant they have damage. Yeah. A huge, yeah. a huge lump on their head and huge big feet like ostriches. Um, <laughs> yes, they do. I remember walking through the Daintree a number of years ago and seeing one and being frozen solid going, oh, my goodness, what I what do I do, which is probably exactly what I should have done, just stop still and they'll just keep on their merry way mm. unless they've got chicks with them and yes. then they're yes. likely to be pretty aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, when we get off air, I'll send you the the. the couple of minutes of photos we took off our phones. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, I don't know, you can share it with your, with your listeners or whatever. I'm going to type in uh, cassowary. <laughs> <laughs> so they, and I don't even know if I've spelt it correctly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if you Google cassowary, you will see a photo and information about this magnificent Queensland bird. They are really yes. beautiful but quite – they would stand maybe 1.5 metres, so they're really quite big, Willow and Harper. And, yes, yes, generally humans try and stay away from them. Now, sorry, I digress. We really <laughs> wanted to talk to Stephen about hey, his yeah, latest novel, <laughs> which yeah. is called Bodies of Consequence. So, Stephen, let's start by talking about your history as an author and then I'd love for you to tell us about Bodies of Consequence. Mm. Well, Tony, I must tell you this book had a gestation all of its own. Uh, yes. And, and the story goes that, see, I, I, I decided that I'd had enough. I, I'd, I'd written four, well, published four novels and 
yes. four or five screenplays and all these short stories. I said, I'm done. I'm finished. You know, I'm not doing yeah. it anymore because, you know, I've got snow on the roof now. I'm getting, you know, past 60. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But uh, this. You're not this, that old, surely. Oh, uh, only uh, young in spirit still, I can assure you. Yeah. But this, yeah. this story about a sniper kept banging around in my head. Right. I couldn't shake it loose. And I said, leave me alone. You know, I'm done. I'm finished. But yeah. you know what? I I, rel- I relented and I said, okay, I'm in. Let's, because I, you know, there's a lot to do, of course, with the writing and then the publishing it things. Is. As you know, yes. Yes. But I said, okay, I'm in. Let's do this. So what I what I did as, as a normal modus operandi, I, I got out my big blank piece of paper to do a yes. mind map. Yes. Now, you know that that, that unlocks that creative. Yes. Juices, and I and it never failed me before. It never. It always worked. It always unlocked something. Yeah. This morning, I'm sitting there, and I'm staring at this blank piece of paper for half an hour. Nothing came out. Oh. I thought, what? And so to the universe, like, you want me to write? What do you want me to write? So okay, the next. So the next day, I said, okay. So I just opened up the PC, and started to write, and that's when I started to see these pictures and I won't call them visions but pictures of colours and uh, uh, in heaven yes. and hear this mu- this music and I saw these the colours of the robes and the uh, 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 the angels if you will I could, I could sort yeah. of see and hear it all so I just started to type I just was like I must say t- like taking dictation yes but the the interesting thing was was like I I finish a piece or a section or something, and I read it back and go, oh, my God, where did that come from? Yeah. But, you know, I, but, but then I go, okay, what's next? You know, like story development and structure and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I could not for the life of me see what was coming next. I had no idea. But when I, the next day or whenever, I sat again, it yeah. would just come. It would just unfold. It would just evolve. So I just sat there and typed. The whole thing come out in about, Oh, five weeks, really. The the um, the storylines, wow. and as I say, I would I would read back some of it and go, where in the heck did that come from? <laughs> so it was a really interesting process. It was lovely, did lovely you to do. Ever figure out where it came from, or it was just pure inspiration? It's a very good question, you know, Tony, because somebody asked me the other day whether. Well, I was channeling or divine spirits, and I must say I don't get into that. But what I what I know is between me and spirit, where this source, the source, yes, where it's coming from, there is no barrier. There's nothing there to say, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I don't believe in that. That's rubbish. I, you know, I'm mm. not good enough or any of those self-defeating saboteurs. I don't have any of those. Yeah. So all I all I do is open up and trust that. It will be there. I know yeah. that it will be there. Where it comes from, I don't question. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure it's uh, the spirit guidance or something or other. But yes. that to me is not important. It's just to know and to trust that it's 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 a it's a conduit that has no barrier. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you called your novel bodies. Of consequence, which <laughs> describes events that occur in heaven. Did mm. that come to you that way as well? Well, the interesting thing is that 
for me now and the experience of having written the book, what it what it portrays is like what happens to us in the afterlife is like humankind's greatest unknown. It's the final yeah. frontier in some ways, isn't it? Yes. I mean, we 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 all think about life after death and and the conclusions we make have a have a profound effect on the path of life we choose from then on. It's like they do. It, it, it illuminates our life choices, if you will. So, yes. you know, the the story is there for people to read. I mean, I don't uh, I don't preach or, or try to convert none of that. I don't do any of that. I just write the story, a- yeah. and and people will find their because, as you know, the, in in stories there are different levels. Yeah. So when when a person picks up the book and reads, they might see a, a literal might have a literal interpretation and go, oh, that's yeah. a lot of rubbish. But yeah. then again, others will read it and go, oh, my God, that's me. And that's a mystical experience because yes. it's, a, it's a revelation of truth. We're, we're uncovering uh, an internal truth for the person. And that's the way it works. That's the way it should yeah. work to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you tell us about one of those stories from your book, Stephen? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you the one, the the beginning one, the one I saw first. Yeah. And remember, this it, the story revolves around a sniper. Now I know nothing about sniping. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is just what came to me. Now this sniper in World War Two, as he, as he, a sniper does, he he kills the enemy. He shoots the com- yeah the, the enemy combatants, and he he shot this young. Uh, enemy combatant this particular time and all he could visualise, all he could see through the scope was this boy's vivid blue eyes. Yes. And after after he shot the person, he heard in the background, like amidst all the, the carnage and the noise and explosions, he heard some someone wailing, a, a woman wailing, but he ignored it. He turned, you know, he had a mortified. Yeah. But then later... You know, years later, he's a grandfather, and uh, uh, and he's sitting in in his lounge chair with his grandson, a beloved yeah. grandson, at his at his at his feet, yeah. and he passes away. Now, oh. he, well, that's the story. That's the start of the story. So the grandfather yeah. goes to heaven. And yeah. He goes up into the mists, and the first experience that he has, he, he hears all this this choral music and it's going bring up the bodies bring up the bodies and he hears this and this out of the the mists come comes this young man with the vivid blue eyes and he he embraces the young the, the young man embraces him but that transports him to this dark cavern so he goes into this deep dark cavern and he moves down this decrepit tunnel and he hears this wailing in the background and he approaches this dark, forbidding door and, he, and it, he pushes it open. And now inside yeah. is a, a, a woman in ragged clothes and hair bedraggled and she's rocking and wailing and screeching and she's holding a photo to her chest. Yes. And as is his want, because he feels compassion for her, he goes up and you know, gives a solace, but that trans he spent, but that transports him to see what happened to her. Mm-hmm. She, uh, as a concert, she was the mother of the son. She committed, she uh, killed herself. She committed suicide as a consequence 
of losing her son, the enemy's son, in the war. So what he had to face was the consequences of his actions that he didn't know, like a ripple effect. You see what I mean? So he's killed. He's done what he thought was right, you know, in in war. He killed the enemy. All good. Yeah. But he had to face the consequences, that ripple effect. He didn't know what that consequence of his actions had, but he had to face it in in heaven. But that's what he did. So that's the first story. That's the first. Uh, that's, that's the, the first, first one in the book, Bodies of yes. Consequence. Yes, that's oh, the first wow. one he has to face. There are a number of others, but I'd better not give it yeah, to you. Yeah, no, that, me, that's I... fine. So <laughs> the book focuses on life after death experiences. So for our listeners, can you explain to them what your concept, life after death, means to you? Yes, that's very interesting, Tony. Um, for me, the story portrays a number of inviolable laws or foundational premises, if you will. Yeah, yeah. The, the first being, the under, underpinning one is that we are all one. We're all one in spirit. So we're all made of the same stuff. We all come from the same source. Yes. Uh, but from this arise the tenet of what you sow, so shall you reap. What you cause yes. to affect in others, so shall you experience. Because yes. we are one in spirit. We, we do to one, we're, we're doing to ourselves. Yeah. In other words, we, we must face or confront and be accountable to the consequences of our actions. Yeah. Uh, well, we're told this in the scriptures, in life as it is in heaven. That's what yes. it's saying. I mean, yeah. this, is how we, this is how we evolve into love, to realise who we really are, to experience the divinity that is internal within us. It's, it's, it's like life's great paradox of love returning into itself. You know, we come from love and we return to love. That's, to me, what it depicts. That's what the story tells. Amazing. So the um, reading about these experiences, mm-hmm. how do you see them helping people who are still living a physical life? Ah, well, isn't that very interesting? Um, the, the, the words and, and the stories of bodies of consequence are, are from a source that I can only assume works in our favour. Yeah. It's, it's there to help us in some way. That's what stories do. Um, but the, the stories prepare us for the consequences of actions we have taken in the life we have chosen. Deep within my my. My being, and I must tell you, since writing the book, my own experiences have become, it's life has become more uh, deeper, more vivid, if you know what I mean. The colours are more enhanced. You know, what, what I do and what I say has become more important. I'm aware of the consequences. So it's, it, it, it's given life, for me, the, uh, the writer, uh, a, a more compelling view of, of, of life and what, what I do with it, not to right. waste it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but I'm, I must say, and as I said before, I'm not seeking to change people's life, you know, to, to, to preach or anything like that. It's for people to read uh, and find their own truth. That's what the story will do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that you also talk about um, – a silver cord that <laughs> yes. connects us to the ones uh, we love. 
Mm. Can you Isn't explain that, that more for me, Stephen? <laughs> oh, it's interesting, Tony. I saw this silver cord so vividly. It, yeah. Um, and it was a, uh, it's a cord in the story. It's a cord, silver cord between the grandfather and the grandson. Yes. Uh, uh, but it's a cord that, uh, and it's another inviolable tenet uh, to me. You see, love links soul with soul and has the power to bridge any gulf if it is only yeah. strong and true. Yeah. So what that means is that for, for the ones we love, that silver cord is always there. Uh-huh. Um, in, in the in, in the story, when the when the grandson Michael is in trouble, uh, Matthew in heaven, he he silver cord sort of shimmers and shakes, and 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 look goes all goes all AWOL. but yes, he yes. knows that tells him that the, the grandson is in trouble. So then he goes he comes down to guide and to help and to inspire the grandson, and not to particularly because the grandson follows in uh, his grandfather's military footsteps. He becomes yes. a sniper himself. Yes. So the grandfather is coming down to, to uh, say, don't, don't do that. <laughs> yes. The, yes. the consequences are too grave. You know, I know the consequences are so you don't. There, there's a higher way. Yeah. So that's what the silver cord is. It's a, it, it's a bridge. It's a connection of, of, of love between, you know, between people that, that, that have an enduring love between one another. It's, yeah. um, uh, I, I guess it's that analogy might be it's like, you know, when you're tuning a radio frequency, you know, you're tuning yeah. it, you're dialing into that love you feel for that person. Yeah. And that, that becomes an eternal connection. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure many of your, your, your listeners. I have was had just going to say, yeah. Zara wants to know. Do we all have these cords? Oh, yes. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yes, Zara. The answer Lo- is yes, yeah. we all have these <laughs> love, love is the key. If you, you know, when, when you love and, and connect with that love yes. that you have for the other person, be it whoever, family, friend, whatever, yeah. it, that, that's the silver cord. And it's, the love is, is that polishes that silver cord, if you will. Sorry for the analogies, but that's the no, way no, that, it seems to me. It's um, a very good way to explain for our listeners so they can understand the concept. Stephen, Leo wants to know hmm? how many cords are we attached to, which is oh, a I, great question, Leo, because I was just wondering the same thing. Are there numbers of cords or, or uh, is there a predominant one? Do you want to explain that, Stephen? I... This, this is not part of the book, my dear, I, but yeah. I, I, I think you can have as many as you like. Love, love okay. has no boundaries. Love, love has no limitations. Why? That's right. You know, if, if you have love for persons or persons or whatever it is, that's a connection. They're, they're, the more you love, the better you're off. Hey, that's yeah. all good. So I don't think there's any – you know, we, we look at it from a, a literal point of view and say there's only a room for, for a small number, but that's not the way it works. Because love, love is, is infinite. In itself, yes. and by yes. infant, it, it goes on and on and on. It's e- eternal, and yes, yes, that, that that's exactly right. And even and you know what it's like. We even with the people we love the most, we have little argy barges and things. But yes. to, in many respects, that just reinforces the love you have for them. It's okay, you know, and it just yeah. means you have to 
you have to fine tune that dial a little bit, uh, yeah. and that's all good. But I, no, I wouldn't see any limitations at all on the number. No. Fantastic. Stephen, I want to know before we run out of time, mm. how writing this book changed your life? Because it's not the only book you've written, but it is the latest. So how oh. has it changed your life? <laughs> oh, my goodness, Tony, that's a big story. i tell you, tell you what happened. Now, as I say, I'm sitting here looking out uh, in the rainforest and I'm looking out yeah. uh, uh, across the house and 12 months ago I was up, as you, you do when you're, 60 plus, and I was cleaning yes. out the gutters, and I fell off the ladder, and I <gasps> hit the ground pretty hard. Mm. And I'm on the ground, and I've I can't feel my hands and legs. Oh, oh, I'm in trouble here. Now, fortunately, my wife was here and heard me scream. Yeah, but but it, that's all good. Now, that's 12 months ago, and the book hadn't been published. It had been written, but it hadn't been published. But what I what I learnt from that experience was that we we all we have a a, time, a duration in life like we are yeah. born with a and we and there's a certain time frame that we're here for yeah. and we have a purpose to fulfill we've got something yeah. to do something to realize but what I, I now understand is that there are how do I explain these built-in exit points that yes. say say oh if it all gets too hard if it's too much trouble or you're not coping very well, you can opt out and it's okay. But for me, now for me, that falling yeah. off that ladder was an exit point that uh-huh. I chose not to take. Uh-huh. I, 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 I've decided, no, no, I'm not going yet because it would have been very easy. I fractured my neck, by the way. Oh, um, my goodness. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm okay. I'm all mobile and doing. I'm doing fine. It's all good. That's a whole other story. <laughs> or I go there. But I'm doing great. But, you know, it was – I've decided to, that there's more to do. I've got a purpose yes. to fulfill. I've got a book to publish. I've got – you know, it's, it's a story that must be told. Yes. So here we are. That's yes. what I'm doing. So what's next in your plan, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, no more falling off that. ladders in the rainforest no, 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 forest, no, no. I'm guessing. No, no. The first first decision my wife and I made was we get somebody else to do the hard work. Yeah, so that's good. all fine. But look, if I said to you that I wasn't going to write again, I'd probably be lying. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a story that's um, banging away in my head, and I've written the first few chapters, and it's called The Bishop. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can imagine the story, what the story is about. It's about a, a, a bishop that go, passes on and goes to heaven. Right. He experiences in heaven the consequences of Does he go actions. to heaven, though? Is the oh, question? yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Well, you'll, uh, uh, that's a ways away, Tony. I'm only chapter four yet. So. <laughs> but, um, but, yes, there's more to do. I, uh, but I'm very open to to what the, the guidance, you know, I, I ask, you know, for guidance every day as to yeah. what, what to do and where to go and where to be. So I trust that implicitly. Yeah. And and it doesn't fail because, as I said before, there's the conduit's pretty open. Yeah. So um, I'm sure that we'll, um, the gifts from wherever will be given to highlight the, yeah. the steps that are taken along the pathway, as it is for us all. If we're open yeah. to it, the guides are there to help us. Stephen, 
Do you predominantly write now or do you still do your coaching and business mentoring or is writing really the thing that you like to do the most? Uh, interesting, Tony. I uh, I made a, one of those New Year's resolutions to do yeah. a lot more coaching and a lot less writing. I Okay. I, I, sort of, I, I connected. Yeah, I love doing both. I'm kind of. I think I'm pretty good at both, but okay, what I yeah. I did a workshop uh, in November last year with a, a group of lovely people where I connected them to their life purpose and their their underpinning values and and you know it's so profound. I, I um, you could see the change in the people and the the impact it has. Yes. And from my own point of view, I thought oh, I love doing this. It's really kind of cool, you know, and I'd yeah. love to do more. So that's. That's that's 2020 uh, in the unfolding. <laughs> I'll be doing okay. a lot more of the the coaching. I've uh, I've got to get out. See, it's so easy to sit. You know what it's like. You sit in. Yeah. Uh, uh, as an author, it's a it's a very solitary. Process. It is a solitary process. So uh, it, it's uh, yeah, time to yeah do a lot more of that coaching because uh, it's it's so good for people uh, and to share the experiences. I'm, uh, I'm actually going to try and uh, voice my next book. So speak it ah. out versus write it out. Um, because my first book I wrote, you know, typing away solitary mm. for months and months on end. I'm, uh, I've started the writing, but I'm thinking now that I might speak it out uh, in mm. the hopes that I can get more done uh, faster. <laughs> well, that's kind know, of cool too. Time, yeah. just <laughs> time just glides away so quickly. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. and I think the older I get, the busier I seem to get. Uh, I had hopes that it would slow down a little, but that's uh, not apparent at the moment. Well, when you're gifted as you are, that, you know, people people come to you for the, for the benefit yeah. of your wisdom. So, um, yeah. But I, I must say, I, I, I live by a, I live by a rule where I don't do busy anymore. What I what I'm I do needing is, to learn that, quite uh, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should speak off air, and I can give you a few tips. But I I connect now with what's important, and, yes. and divest of the things that are, un, are considered not so. So, yeah. like for me. Um, you know the writing and the coaching and the, and spending time with my beloved wife and and yeah. and uh, the kids that are now off our hands. But those are the things to me that are important. Yeah. Um, so they get scheduled in first, yes. and the other stuff kind of fills in Fits the <laughs> fills in the gaps. <laughs> yeah. So yes, there's a whole story behind that too. Fantastic, Stephen. It has been lovely talking to you this morning, and I'm very too, appreciative Tony. that you come on Radio Tony this morning to talk to about your new book. And before I let you go, I just want to tell the listeners that I've popped Stephen's website into the chat box if you want to follow up more and read more about Stephen's wonderful work, all his books, and everything that he does. And if you want to ask him more about the cassowary in far north Queensland, <laughs> I also popped up some photos of the cassowary because you know they're not a, a lot, a bird that's spoken about a lot. So I thought it might be interesting for them to have a look. And um, we've managed to talk right through the next break. And my oh. next <laughs> guest, Laura, is live on live. 
are live, ready to go, all ready. So, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on Radio Tony. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you, and our chat's been wonderful, and I wish you all the best, and you too, thank Tony. you so much. Thank you, Tony. All the best to you and your listeners. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, good mate. morning, Laura. Well, it's good evening for me. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> See, my poor brain just cannot cope with so many different time zones. I've it's got Stephen in Stephen and I are in Queensland. You're right. over in Minnesota. I've got yes. Kerry over from uh, Western Australia, which is another time zone again. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's the end of the week, so I'm really <laughs> excited that you were able to come on the show, Laura. Laura's I'm jumped off teaching to jump on the show tonight, and I'm really appreciative that she did that. But before before I introduce her properly, I just have to let you know a bit more about Laura. So Laura is a writer, poet and musician and she has a time travel series called The Blue Bells Chronicles and it's set in a modern and medieval Scotland and it's garnered praise and comparisons to writers such as Diana Gabaldon and her poetry has been published in the Moccasin and the Martin Lake Journal. She's featured in newspaper, on radio, TV, spoken for regional book events and she co-hosts the radio program Books and Brews with Laura Vosca and Michael Agnew. She currently teaches writing in Minneapolis Community and Technical College. She has performed uh, with the trombone, flute and harp in orchestras and big bands. She lives with some of her nine children, two cats and an Irish wolfhound. And I am excited to have Laura on the program this morning. Thank you. Laura, what's the weather in Minnesota, USA like tonight? Oh, it's snowing here, although it's Yay! <laughs> now, you're, you're sort of more in the middle of your summer, aren't you? We are. It's yeah, disgusting. Yeah. Um, I have been so happy. It has usually not gotten too much below freezing most of the winter, so it's actually above freezing. Because uh, now, do you you use Fahrenheit, don't you? No, we use Celsius. We, use Celsius. we, we okay. like to confuse you guys because we're all metric. <laughs> okay, I should have known that. Um, yeah, we have been known to get to thirty-five and forty-five below zero in the winter, and that's Fahrenheit. Yeah. So I, I don't even know what that is in Celsius. That's like you know negative six or something. <laughs> really cold. Um, I, it's horrible. You know, your your eyeballs get cold three minutes after you walk out your door. So yeah. I've, I've been enjoying very mild weather, but it is starting to snow tonight. Yeah. Is this the time of year heading into February when you tend to get the coldest of the winter? Well, it, it varies by year, but I'd say January and February probably are the coldest months. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, Laura, you have been writing for a very long time, and I wondered how you got into writing? Oh, wow. Well, I've actually been writing since I was probably eight years old, nice. uh, like almost as early as I really was able to write. So I, I remember writing this poem when I was eight, and I'm pretty grateful that it's never seen the light of day since. <laughs> <laughs> it was Why probably not? awful. <laughs> uh, I was eight. What can I say? 
Um, and I started writing my first novel when I was 10. And I had yeah. this brilliant idea. And I wrote, I don't know, maybe about 10 pages about this little boy who gets kidnapped. And he's just such a handful that his mm-hmm. captors decide to try and give him back to his parents. <laughs> and uh, so I was I was all gung-ho. It was such a great idea. And then I was sitting down in front of my mom's bookshelf. And I saw The Ransom of Red Chief. And I went, oh. <laughs> Oh, Henry already took my story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It it was rather ironic. I mean, they do say there are only so many plots, you know, and that, what is it, depending on the the commentator, you know, 10 basic plots, 36, Mm -hmm. whatever. And so it's a story that's been done before. And I didn't realize, well, that's okay. You can do your own take on it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So So, um, essentially been writing since you were a child, really. Yes. Yeah. And your latest book is a time travel series called The Bluebell Chronicles. Right. And I it's, believe it's set in uh, between medieval and modern Scotland. Yeah. Why did you choose Scotland? Well, that's a funny story because I have absolutely no Scottish heritage that I know of. Um, I wondered. Mom's family tends toward red hair and they do wonder, you know, is there uh-huh. something they don't know about? But um, no, to my knowledge, I have no Scottish ancestry, but I played trombone and I played semi-professionally. I got my bachelor's degree in music on it. Yeah. So I was pretty deep into trombone. And one of the pieces that good trombone players always like to try sometime in high school is called Bluebells of Scotland. Yes. And it's a really neat piece. It's based on the old folk song, but they turned it, or I shouldn't say they, uh, Arthur Pryor turned it into a theme and variations so that he could show off what a trombone can actually do in the hands of a really good player. And so it skips like, you know, four or five octaves from start to finish. And it's very, fast and you know it's a lot of fun when you can play it and so I thought well if I'm going to write this story about this arrogant obnoxious musician and um, you know he's going to be a trombone player because I know that world um, it sort of has to be set in Scotland if that's his signature piece and so I started doing all the research I thought you know I, I really wanted to write a story such as I would like to read and I I like to read adventure and you know these kind of noble grand epic journeys and things like that and so the words of this song involve noble deeds and streaming banners and I thought well that's probably going to be a battle and so I started doing the research and came across the Battle of Bannockburn which is Scotland's greatest victory ever in their history and so that's I ended up in medieval Scotland by way of trombone. <laughs> not not the way most people get there. Yeah. And have you been to Scotland, Laura? Yes, yes I have gone there five times. And yeah. four of those were research trips. Yeah. And so I try to go to every location in the books and I try and see what the characters see. Um, if for any it's a beautiful trips. country. Yes. Have you been there? Yeah, absolutely, and and when I read this, I thought I, I I know why writers base things in Scotland or go uh, to Scotland to write because it's just got it just yes, oozes an aura history. and a presence yes. that is geared to history and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't it? Right, and it has a reputation as does I think Ireland for being 
somewhere that has what they call thin places there where mysterious things might happen. Yes. And so I think that's part of the draw, too. Like, you know, the Wild West in America, we don't really have that <laughs> reputation for anything mysterious happening. But, but yeah. a place like Scotland does. I remember walking around Edinburgh and I could almost feel uh, Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, like, mm. how is that so? But you could just, like, feel that sort of energy and, right. yeah, I loved it. Well, so as you of obviously. Course you, you, like me, you live in a country that's relatively new, you know. You yes. have a lot of Australian history, I mean, relative no. to a place like Scotland. And so to me, to be, um, I'm trying to think, I think it was Stirling where yeah. they – could be wrong about that where they have the underground tour uh it's yes. mary king's close yes and, uh, yep. oh my yep. gosh it's amazing have you have you yeah. been on that tour i went to go and the actually I think uh, it's- evening that i went they'd cancelled it and i so oh. i didn't get back because there's so much to see as you know there is. there is but it's just incredible to be down under this city and i think i was wrong i think it's edinburgh where it is and to see what they said were basically medieval tenements and these yes. rooms, not much bigger than my dining room that I'm sitting yeah. in right now. And you might yeah. have a large family or even a couple of families living in that one little room. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the sense of history is just incredible beyond what it is. we can imagine in, in a younger country. I absolutely agree with you, Laura. It's it's the best part about traveling and experiencing mm-hmm. those thousands of years of uh, history in places like Scotland and, mm-hmm. and uh, Ireland. So uh, in terms of your writing, what's your best, and you've been writing for so long, what's your best advice for bringing a story to life? Um. I would say, if at all possible, go experience the place and then just sit and think about the senses, you know, think about what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're smelling, listen to, pay attention to the details. I think the details just really, really uh, bring it to life. So, for instance, I, I had a bit of an advantage in, I'd say, capturing the the idioms of the Scots because, you know, they speak English, obviously, but every country has its own idioms. And I was married for 23 years to an Irishman. And so when I went to Scotland, I noticed, ah, they say a lot of the same things. Like they say the cooker instead Mm -hmm. of our stove. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so as I was writing, I was always hearing his voice and his mother's voice and his sister's and these idioms that I had gotten so used to for, oh, I don't know, 15 years before I started writing the book. So, yeah. but those, those details really add up. And the people who know a time or a place, if you don't get those details right, <laughs> they're, yes. they're, yes. they're, it was the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Laura, we've got some questions mm-hmm. coming in. And Hedy wants to know, did you get anything from your early years ever published? Um. No, no. I actually do have one from that I finished when I was about 22 or 23, mm-hmm. and I would like to publish that. Now, yeah. it's uh, vastly different from anything I've ever done. Um, I did have an essay published in Glamour magazine years ago when I was, I don't know, maybe 25 or 26. They yeah. 
they had asked, um, they had requested essays, and mine was one of about eight chosen from, I think, about 800 people who submitted. So that was kind of neat, but that's, um, up until I was 40, I think that was the only thing I had published. Okay. Harper wants to know, how many works do you have published currently? Um, I think... I think it's eight. Um, wow. So the list, there are five books in the Bluebells Chronicles series. Yeah. And then there is uh, Food and Feast in the World of the Bluebells Chronicles, and that is subtitle. Let me see if I can remember the subtitle. <laughs> a gastronomic, historical, poetic, musical romp in time. And time, of course, is spelled T-H-Y-N-E. Yeah. And yeah. What that book is, is scenes from the series in which they're eating. And then I give a little bit of the actual history behind that scene to say, you know, um, the stories in that book, not to sound arrogant because it's not about me, it's about history, but the stories yeah. in the book are amazing because they're historical. And yeah. just reading these things, um, like there was a washerwoman who went into labor as a uh, an English army was coming down on Robert the Bruce. And oh, is Robert is the massive. Bruce fascinating? Sorry, I don't I, I want to do my PhD and write my dissertation on his character. He's, he's amazing. Yes. But um, this massive, massive army outnumbered them, I don't know, 12 to 1 or something yeah. crazy, Huge. was surrounding the hills around them, looking down on them. And there he stood with his few hundred men. And this woman's going into labor. Well, they hadn't arrived yet, but he said, what man among us would leave a woman in this condition? And he told his men, get get ready. Put on your armor. Get your weapons ready. We're not leaving her. And yeah. they stood there. And what is so particularly incredible about this story is this massive army, 12 times their size, stood looking down on them. And they just, you know, they waited to be crushed, thinking it's hopeless. And all of a sudden, Edmund Butler's army turned and walked away. <laughs> and they said, well, wow. that's a stroke of luck, but I wonder why. Yeah. And so later, a deserter left Edmund Butler's army and joined Robert the Bruce. And he said, so, uh, you know, you could have crushed us like a flea. What happened? And he said, well, Edmund Butler looked down at your little ragtag band and he said, Bruce isn't that stupid. So he must be springing a trap on us. So oh. I think we better leave. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> And so, you know, this, this laundress gave birth and yeah. um, off they went and everybody was spared. And so I put a lot of stories like that through the book that are just yeah. amazing right. stories that mm -hmm. I go, how could you not include this? You you can't yeah. make stuff this good. No. So, yeah. Laura, Missy wants to know, you said something about only certain number of plots or something. Can you please say what you meant? Oh, um, I when actually... When we were talking about, you know what I mean, yes. Yeah, right. And this is among my publications. I do have a little, a very thin book that is some thoughts on creative writing, and I list that in there. And... What it is, is that various people who write about writing say that there are only so many plots. So some will say there are only three plots. And I, I wish yes. I had this book handy. You know, man versus man, man versus nature, uh, man versus self. 
Um, yes. There are others who say there are seven plots. There is one that I believe is 36 plots. Mm-hmm. And so lists like the 36 plots will have things like um, the Oedipus story, that the yes. Oedipus story gets told over and over, or um, the Romeo and Juliet, you know, that that same plot yes. of the lovers from two families or from two different worlds who can, the star-crossed lovers, I guess, is basically what the plot is called. And so we'll see that come up in Shakespeare. We'll see it come up in West Side Story. And I'm sure it's been in, you know, hundreds. Many, many books. Many, many books, thousands of books, probably. So it's a basic plot. um, What would be a basic plot? Um, Mistaken identity might be a basic plot. Um, you know, rags to riches might be a basic plot, something like yes. that. Yeah. yeah. And then people write, use a basic plot and create whatever exactly. they need around. Right, right. Yeah. Mari so like, wants to know. Sorry, mm-hmm. Laura, go. It's okay. No, go ahead. Um, Mari wants to know, are you self-published or do you have a traditional publisher? Um, I, I am self-published, and what I did, I actually set up my own publishing company. Oh, because well at, Yeah, and at the time, so I, I have, I should count up someday, I actually have maybe 40 or 50 other books published under this company, too, by other people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in fact, I'm in the process right now of formatting and releasing a, a new book called Dream of Dragons, and oh, wow. I, I will be doing a poetry anthology each year. So we have one already out called Startled by Joy. Yeah. And it is, um, excuse me, it's classical poetry written by new writers or by modern yeah. poets. Yeah. So kind of reestablishing some classical forms and um, quite a few books on quite a few genres and topics. Yeah. Fantastic. Jesse wants to know, would you say anyone can write a book? Um, I, yes, <laughs> yes, because it's not um, easy. We have no like easy. we have to reiterate that yes, anyone can write a book. Can I? I think some people are going to have more of a natural inclination. I think probably people that read a lot might have a better flow for words, how to mm-hmm. put sentences together. Um. You know, one of the classes that I have designed that I have not taught yet is actually called Poetry for Writers of Prose. And yeah. it's about things like that. What what sort of separates the good writing from, I don't know, maybe eighth grade writing, you know, where maybe the sentences are choppy or whatever. Yeah. Um, the things aren't described well, that sort of thing. So, yes, anybody can write a book, but I think that it does take a lot of work to do it well and you you have to really want to you know otherwise you get stalled by life and if you think that you're going to write a book to make millions and be a bestseller Uh don't Uh come from that perspective (laughs) because it's not it's hard out there Uh, in answer to oliver's question which is how hard it is how hard is it to write a book and publish a book well I would dare say that anyone can write a book, but publishing a book is a whole process that um, Laura could help you with. And I've popped Laura's um, uh, website up in the chat and I'll pop it up again shortly. Um, Mari wants to know, how much do you charge for this service? Publishing books, that is. Publishing? 
Well, at this point, it's I'm I'm really going a little more toward the royalty uh, traditional model. So as I kind of have learned the ropes. You know, it started off as just an in-house publishing company for my writers group. But now I'm working with authors where it's more I do the work of final editing, formatting, cover design, but then I take part of the royalties. So it's it's more of a traditional model. And and for people... For people listening, those parts of producing a book, for example, editing, layout, uh, they're really labour intensive and very, very, they're hard work. I would think that they are actually the hardest part is the editing, layout, um, and getting the content right versus right. just writing the book. And I've, I've been fortunate that the authors for whom I have published have had very, very polished products. There was really very little editing. For, for instance, um, this is a fantastic book. I highly recommend it to everyone. Yeah. It's called the, the Feet Say Run by Dan Blum. And I only just noticed now that kind of rhymes. <laughs> but it's it's a really amazing story. It's so well written. What was his it, name, Laura? Dan, Dan Blum, B-L-U-M. Yep. And it's, it's a story of an old man who's caught on a desert island with six survivors. And yeah. he's reflecting on his life growing up in pre-Nazi Germany and then through the war yeah. years. And um, through all the things that happened afterward, when he finally made it to America, how his son turns on him, um, when he finds out that his father had been in the Wehrmacht. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's talking about how he actually had a Jewish girlfriend and all the propaganda that was pushed at him, the social pressure that was put on him. The reasons why a young man in 1940 would hate Hitler and still end up in the Wehrmacht, it's its a fascinating story. And yet yeah. he also manages to put humor in, you know, as you see these six survivors on the desert island fighting over politics. And it's like, guys, there yeah. are six who cares? Yeah. Uh, you know, but it really it brings out a lot of human foibles and so on. But the point mm-hmm. is. It was so polished when when I first read it that basically it came down to a few things like, Dan, did you kind of look at the timeline? You know, he's 50 here. All of a sudden he's 85 and, you know, that Uh doesn't line up. So it was really it was a lot of detail stuff. And I suggested that he make the ending more hopeful. It it was a very tragic ending. And now it's much more hopeful ending. So. But yes, the layout, all of that, it's it's labor intensive. It is labor intensive. Missy wants to know, do you have to copyright a book before you self-published? Great um, question, Missy. You know, I'm not sure if the laws would vary by country on that. My understanding yeah. has always been that as long as you have any evidence at all that you wrote it, which I would have, right, it's automatically copyrighted, and then you yes. stick the copyright symbol in the front of the book in the front matter. And, and I, most publishers will do that for yes. you, put the yeah. copyright. Yeah, and, you know, some authors will worry, you know, what if I send this out and somebody steals it and prints it as their own? Yeah. And the fact is, most people who are involved in writing and publishing, they're, they're too deep in writing their own stuff to... Yeah. To be bothered uh, pinching yours. <laughs> right, right. Especially because they, you know, maybe want to edit it or something. And that, as you said, editing is actually much harder than writing a book. It is. I agree. Uh, I can write editing and layout. And, mm-hmm. Quite yeah. difficult. And the parts that I 
struggled the most with. What's mm-hmm. the best part of writing for you, Laura? Oh, I think when you're actually sitting down and the scenes are vivid and alive and your fingers are just flying on the keyboard because I I think I heard your last guest say, I I don't know what happened with that call, but all of a sudden I was being called and I was listening to the radio program. (laughs) So confused and I still don't know how that happened. It seems to automatically call back or something when I called you. Um, But so I, I was listening to his interview and he had, he had mentioned that, um, you know, about the editing I think we were talking about. So. Yeah, yeah. So the best part of you is when that inspiration hits you and mm-hmm. your fingers can't type fast enough to keep up exactly. with what's going exactly. on in you. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I, I had one night, and this was probably like when I was 21 or something, and I had set up my office. I, I took everything out of my walk-in closet and turned it into my office and I went in there at 8 o'clock one night, and I started typing away on one of the first Macs ever <laughs> ever sold. Yeah. It was like 1991 or something. Yeah. And I started typing away. And I was like, oh, okay, I've been in here 20 or 30 minutes. I should go get some water. I came out, and it was, I think, 2 in the morning or <gasps> in the morning yeah. or something crazy. I'd been in there like 4 or 5 hours, yeah. and I thought it had been 20 minutes. And that that's like, you know, my dream. <laughs> yes. It's great and it just it's keeps great when that happens and the inspiration just flows and yeah. yeah. So before we run out of time, Laura, what are you working on now? I am working on a book that is very challenging to put together because yeah. I'm actually weaving together three storylines, oh. and it's called The Castle of Dremore, and it <sighs> is about a, a relatively young wo- widow who has a whole bunch of boys. <laughs> and there's uh-huh. been a terrible tragedy in Boston uh-huh. in which her husband was killed. And she takes these boys and takes the insurance money and flees to Scotland and buys oh. herself a medieval castle. Oh. And uh, just, just a little one. And moves these boys in. And the first day when she opens the gate, um, I don't know where the boys are. They're not there with her yet for some reason that I'll have to figure out. <laughs> you know, the writing line. But she opens the gate, or the, the big 10-foot doors, looks into the courtyard, and there's a woman in green looking at her. And then she disappears. <laughs> and so she realizes, I've just given up everything i've ever owned to move my boys to a castle and it is haunted oh it, my goodness ends you know the first half of the story just terrified oh my gosh you know one of her boys is only about five and what if they find out and they're going to be scared and so she's hearing harp music in the night and there's this little chaplet of beads that keeps appearing at odd times and places where she's sure she didn't leave it And so it's the story of what happened to her. So part of it is the flashbacks to this event in Boston. Um, Part of it is her modern story of her trying to come to terms with some very ugly betrayals in the past. And then the third part of the story is the story of these two women who once lived in the castle of Dremore back in the 1200s, early 1300s. And that, too, is a story of betrayal, and it's a story of what happens to one of them and how she ended up haunting the place and what it is she wants. And so it's as, as you go through the books, you see the boys kind of growing from being very angry, being angry at her, um, to them coming together as a family. 
uh, dealing with who actually knew what, you know, she starts to find out they knew a whole lot more than she thought they did. Um, And there is, you know, there's a fun old realtor whose friend had grown up in this castle and he kind of left out this little detail about the haunting because he was desperate to sell it for his old, for these, this old couple who lived there. And so he's he's a fun character, and his son is a musician, and and the main character, of course, is a musician. So it's it's a lot of fun. Fantastic, it's a huge, Laura! Huge challenge to weave it all together. Wow. Yeah. I'll look forward to um, talking to you when that book comes out. Yeah, Don't you. you forget to come back on Radio Tony, Laura Darling. We are completely out of time and I have my next guest waiting online but what a wonderful conversation with you today thank you you for coming on Radio Tony I'd say have a wonderful night but (laughs) it's It's day yeah (laughs) okay have a great day you have a wonderful night and enjoy looking at that snow for me because snow is one of my favorite things (laughs) oh good you should join me on my Facebook and you can see pictures oh fantastic I I will do that for sure. Thank you so much for okay. your time, Laura. Thanks so um, much. And I hopefully talk to you again soon. Okay, wonderful. Bye. Goodbye. Now, listeners, we have talked right through our next break. So rather than uh, go on a break, I'm going to open the to the next guest, which is our wonderful show sponsor, Kerry Hortrow from Brain Thinking. Good morning, Kerry. Good morning, Tony. How are you? I'm just fine and dandy here on the radio with all these wonderful listeners today who've been so engaged I haven't quite been able to keep up with their questions. Oh, um, how, how are you doing over there? Yeah, good. It's going to be a, a beautiful 34 degrees here um, at, the mo- at the moment. I think we're sitting at 27. Um, uh-huh. So it's 9.29 a.m. in WA time um, yeah. and it's lovely. Oh, that's good. There's no cyclones over there at the moment. They've been through and back out to sea, haven't they? Yes, yes. So oh, um, the last one was up the top and then that went through through the centre and then down to help give you guys some rain. Ah, some, oh, right. Okay, yeah. that's good. So Kerry's on the western side of Australia and I'm on the eastern side of Australia and the west and the east of Australia are a little cyclone prone from time to time Um, and there's been a few come across the western australian coast already this cyclone season hence my question that kerry yeah yeah so the cyclones um usually don't reach me i'm about um two and a half three thousand kilometers away from where the top of the cyclones are um there's only been a couple in history that have come down the south um to where we are and that caused havoc but we usually just get a bit of the rain and um a little bit of that later but i was gonna say you guys generally get the rain though yes yeah and that's the thing about cyclones they're usually associated with lots and lots of rain so yeah yes so it's been good excellent now this week kerry and i thought that we would talk about a subject that that kerry is passionate about and that's customer service or lack of customer service so Kerry I want you to describe for our listeners what customer service means to you now Kerry is 
a veteran of business. She's owned, operated, managed, taught about business for a long time. And so I'm going to ask her about her expertise on customer service. So I'm just going to read out something that I wrote the other day for a content. And it says, today's workforce has lost the art of true customer service. The art of speaking to each other, the art of conversation, con- consult, con- sorry, consultation, to know what the client is saying. It doesn't happen anymore. They are too busy to sell what they are pushing that they have on special and not listening to what the client is wanting. Um, what they're wanting, when I wander around the stores, I listen to what the clients are saying and I hear what the um, store owners are actually offering and it's very different. So there's a little phrase that has been around for many, many years and it says, listen to what the client wants but sell them what they need. Yeah. In, in that is that we are too quick to um, sell them what the, there is because long gone are the days of where you didn't really have many, many specials. Now there are specials on all the time and certain different areas will have a special on. If you come and join our accounting firm, we'll give you X amount of appointments free or if you'll go into a retail store, this is yeah. on special at the moment. Or yeah. even if you go to a dentist, you know, come in and see us and you'll get a free um, whitening for you know x amount of visits so they they're pushing a lot of that i found and what i have I've done is i've tried to break down what customer service is so a customer is someone who enters your business the service is what you offer them and how it goes through so i've broken it down is to welcoming how you yes. welcome that person or customer or client or guest or whatever you like to call them walks into your business, whether it is a a, um, a business that is has an office at the front or whether it's a retail or whether it's a service industry. So it's how you welcome them. If you're on the phone and you see someone come in, do you acknowledge them? Do you just let them sit down? Do you let them wander around? And I see this too many times, is that if you're on the phone, all you have to do is look up, smile, put your finger up and know that they have been acknowledged. They know that you're on the phone and they are happy to wait if you acknowledge them. In a, um, a supermarket, how many times do you hear of where People say, well, they checked me out and then it was like, well, you have a good day too. It doesn't matter where it is or where you are, your clients are the ones that are keeping your doors open. Then when it comes to them coming in, then it's the consultation. If you're looking for a dress or a dentist or if you're looking to purchase a a lounge suite, is determining what they're actually after. What are you looking for today? Yeah. Is it for a specific um, lounge room? Like we'll go for a lounge suite. Is it for a specific, you know, area? Well, I'm actually looking at for a front front um, space of the house. Okay. Are you looking for a three-seater, two-seater, or a single one? Are you looking for a recliner? Um, I actually might like a recliner and just a couple because I actually want to just sit there and read 
and have one or two people. So this is the art of actually going through with the consultation, finding out what they want and turn that want into what actually do they need. Because often when we go and look for something, we think we know what we want. Until the the expert asks us the correct um, questions to find out what is it actually we're needing for that space or for us. Then when you're, we have done that, then you can offer them the service. And then you can show them, well, these are, the, these are the seats and these are the lounge suites in this section that we've now discovered that you are actually needing. This is um, the material. This is the leather. And then you go through the consultation again. Are you looking for leather or do you want material or do you yes. want um, fibre or what is it you're wanting? They go, oh, no, I don't want leather because... I, I, you know, I'll stick to it in summer. Or yes, yeah. I love it. It's easier to clean. So you've done that now consultation. So you move into the next service part, and then you go in and you say, okay, when do we want to get this delivered? When are we looking at going for this? And then you work out the specifics of it, and then you go into the sale or the checkout, and this yeah. is where you you work out: is there a payment plan? Is there something we do now? And then from there. If it's a service industry, then you may need to either, are we going to make another booking today? Or when would you like to come in again? Or if it is in purchasing something, it'll be thank you so much for your purchase today and help them out the door or um, bid them goodbye rather than just going thanks and let them leave. The whole idea of the service for the customer is creating an experience. So everyone knows that when they have been to somewhere and they have had an amazing experience, they will actually go, oh, my goodness, I went today at this shop or I went to this dentist and they were fantastic. They will tell people. Yes. And it's a really nice thing because you know that they will come back and this is what keeps our doors open. And in answer to... In Judy's question there... How would you decide what you want? Well, that is, that's up to you and the expert to work out how it is that what you want to what you actually need. Now, I've taught my ch- children years ago is that when I go shopping, I say, okay, I'm going to do shopping today. I'll get you all what you need for school. But what's a want? So a want might be, oh, I really want a piece of chocolate today or I really want a new tablecloth. But what I need is I actually need ink for the printer. So so when what things that we need, that actually we have to keep going and we actually need in the home to a want. So a want is often pleasure. A need is something that we can't do without. And so this is where um, finding out if the client or customer or guest, are they in there to just want something to satisfy what they what they want or to make themselves feel good, or are they actually needing something? And this is where the customer service really helps a business. By getting this right, you will build your um, customer base, you will raise your bottom line, and you will have happy staff. And you'll have, more importantly, very happy customers, particularly if you go into a store not quite knowing what you want, 
but leaving with absolutely what you need because the customer service has been so good at that place that's, of business or that company. That's right. And it's teaching, it's teaching how to be able to ask the questions. It's open questions versus closed questions. A closed question does it ends a conversation. An yes. open question starts a conversation. Yes. And it's how to be able to, to do that. Um, and a lot of people, it, I'm sure it's not being taught anywhere these days. Um, in sales things it is, but this is something that, you know, someone in retail or a dentist or, you know, accountant or anyone who is conversing with a client needs to know how to conduct um, that conversation or consultation for that person. Yeah, that's right. It's very important and should be a basic in anyone who's doing business or training staff. Hey, Kerry. Absolutely. I know, um, as um, some of your listeners will know, my um, background is in hairdressing. And when it was, um, we really had a very big service industry. Now, I'm just going to back up a little bit. In yes. uh, most industries, in you have a client base, the retention rate on average is around about 35 to 40% which isn't much. So that little bit is actually just paying for everything to go to go around. The ideal is around about the 60% range to have a retention and then the rest will be walk-ins and then you build it up. Our retention rate at our business was 75%. Wow. Because we added that extra service. So while the women were having their hair done, we would massage their hands and we were, or we would do a hot wax that would be, um, you know, put your hands in and it feels beautiful and you take the wax off and it makes them feel great. When it was raining, we would escort them to their car with an umbrella because if they've paid for a blow dry and we open the door and let them out, what's the point in letting them pay for it if they're just going to yeah. get wet? My yeah. job is that I have provided a service, they have paid for that service, I will get them to their car. Once they leave the carport or the car car yard, I can't help them after that. That's up to them. But if they don't want to blow dry, then that's fine. But we will still often walk them to, to the yeah. car because, yeah. to me, that's the extra service. It's all those little extras that actually keeps your clients happy and creating an experience. And it's the experience that your customers will come back for. And when Kerry talks about retention, that means customers and people who keep coming back to you because of the customer experience they've had in the first place. That's right, exactly. And so when you when you have a great customer service base, that's when you can add something is, you know, bring along a friend and you'll get 25% off. Um, that worked really well. You know, yeah. um, we built it really well. And yeah. any business can do this. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, you can do it. Yes. So I see Mason here is what yes. are your thoughts on all the colours people are using these days for their hair? Well, <laughs> that's a really good question, Mason. I think it's fantastic, actually. 
Um, yeah. But we're not going much into the hairs thing today. But we can um, we can answer that um, later. But with the with as far as hair, I think it's great. You can you can actually um, use all sorts of colours. Um, it really depends on your personality, and 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 also the what you're wearing. The, the customer service, though, if you've got someone coming in and asking for, let's go with bl bright blue hair, and you yes. know that that is going to not look any way decent on that person, your customer service experience would tell you that perhaps you need to point them to bright purple care, hair, which... Absolutely. So, yeah. so that has happened many times where people come in and I love it when people bring in photos and pictures yes. and same with retail stores when they bring in a photo and say, have you got something like this? So when they come in with a type of style or a colour, I would say, that looks fantastic, great. Now let's see if it will suit you. And then we will go through and go, this part would look absolutely fantastic, but I'm not sure about the bottom bit because of the shape of your face or going from there. Yes. If it's a colour, we can go, look, because of your work and because of where you are, and it's actually going to be a high-maintenance colour, we yeah. can either um, do a couple of foils in that colour but not put it all over. But then you give them the choice. You give them your advice. You let them know that... It won't last long. It will be high maintenance. It's going to be quite costly and, and you know, and for whatever reason. And then you give them the choice and they may say, look, it's only for a fun thing. I want to do it for one night. Let's just do it. And then you go, great, let's do it. And then you make the appointment for the, to change it back later. So yeah. it's always never That's customer service though, isn't it, Kerry? Yes, it that is. That comes back to customer service. Yeah. But it's how you conduct the conversation. Yeah. So with anything, even when someone tries on a dress, and I know, you know, um, many women out there would have had the same thing, tried on a dress, and the woman goes, oh, that looks fantastic, and you know darn well it looks terrible. Yeah. So yeah. the thing is, is that you never dismiss anything. You could say, I love that colour, but I don't think that style is actually right for you, but I have something similar that I think would be brilliant for you. Yeah. And then you change that around. So you're not telling them that it looks terrible on them, but you're letting them know that you have something that's actually a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I've put up Kerry's website again, um, brainthinking.com.au, and I've also put up Kerry's Facebook page. And for our listeners today, I'd really love you to jump onto Kerry's Facebook page, Brain Thinking on Facebook. You just click on the link in the chat box and jump onto Kerry's site where she has lots of information and you can contact and message her directly with any of the things that we talk about on Radio Tony with Kerry. And so this week we're talking about customer service and if you have any questions, just tap into Kerry's wealth of knowledge about this subject and ask her questions, uh, give her comments and let her know that you're listening to her thoughts on customer service today because it's really important for anyone who's business in business and in um the 
area of your life you might be working in that role and as an employee you might never have heard of the concept of customer service but if you've listened to what Kerry said today you can add that element to your work and become the most prized employee at your workplace which would be a wonderful thing. Oh that's amazing when that happens. I've seen that happen. I've seen the light you know, go on in people's eyes and go, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. And, of course, everyone has a different concept of customer service. And there is just the basic rules is welcoming, consultation, the service, the checkout, um, making the appointment and saying goodbye. But when you have a great customer service area and you have – Um, And it it engages. And what happens is that when customers are happy, it creates the staff to be happy and it creates that great culture. So it's it's infectious. If you've ever been in, you know, um, somewhere in the streets and you have people actually looking, um, looking up, then everyone will start looking up or you have someone start laughing on a bus. Before you know it, everyone's laughing. Yes. Um, And it's just it's it's amazing as to how that can change. And thank you, Stephen, for putting that through. I know that there are some amazing people out there. Um, I I love what I do. I love changing, you know, people's, um, the way they interact with other people, the way yes. they service people, the way it changes their thoughts, and they love coming to work. And when you've got happy workers, you've got a happy place, you're creating a great experience for the customer. Um and at the end of the day, what happens is the employee, the employer loves it because the bottom line goes up. So I also have this thing of where I've always said is that if you keep your staff happy, your staff will keep your clients happy and your clients will take care of the business. And that's that's so true. If we follow the dollar all the time, it's yes. never usually amounts to much. But if you look after your staff and your clients then that will follow through to the dollars. Yeah. And Kerry is available to not only help you with um, business decisions, but Kerry does some wonderful work with women and particularly younger women around the area of self-esteem, health, beauty and hair. And she runs wonderful programs that help young women and older women of course uh, to increase your self-esteem to know the particular hair and makeup that will suit you and make you feel like a better person so um, Kerry has this huge wealth of information to share with people and and all you have to do is reach out and send her an email, jump on a website, send her a message. She is only too happy to answer your questions um, on any of those subjects, particularly from her business and professional standpoint. And then additionally around the beauty, hair and makeup that makes you feel good. Yes. Um, there is a young girl at the moment that I have been mentoring um, for the last couple of months. Yes. And she started, she has, um, she's 26. Um, she's not happy in her job at the moment. She's a manager. And yes. the, the company 
has got no um, no great culture. It has a culture, but it's not a good one. Yeah. And she's just had enough. And so she rang her mother one day in tears and saying, I just don't know what to do. Her mum said, ring this woman. So she contacted me and we sat down and worked out what what is it that she's wanting. I turned that wanting as to what actually she needed. So what we did is we did a HBDI profile. We sent, we went through and we did of her understanding her over eight weeks. Yes. Also, what we did is a, a photo shoot, a makeup, and gave her a business shot. We changed all her LinkedIn. We got all of this um, um, getting together. And then from that, she's gone and applied for jobs. She's at her interview today, and it's a um, she's the shortlisted. So she's yes. at an interview today. And so when we get off, I can't wait for the phone call to see if she's got the job. Um, oh, and it's changing totally industries, but I have total faith in her because she's put so much work into her of understanding her. She's become already a better manager. The culture within her store has changed already because she's understood herself. She's at, changed at the area, and so, but she wants to get out of the industry. So she is an amazing young woman, and so and that's things have changed we're actually going to be putting her story up on um on facebook and that is what kerry does in a nutshell changes people's lives and i'm so sorry listeners and kerry but we have to get off we've just been given the time's up now so thank you everyone for listening to radio tony this week thank you so much kerry for joining us from western australia i hope you get that phone call later in the day and bye for now everyone we'll see you next week this is tony lontis on radio tony bye for now Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony, with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony, Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom!